Jumbo Ekabo. Welcome to the Rich Immigrant Podcast. This podcast was created to be what the next immigrant needs to thrive and what we need as an immigrant community. In this podcast, we talk about attaining financial independence, living full lives in the new countries we call home, and we'll do all that while talking about topics that pertain to the immigrant community all over the world. We'll do that with grace, with truth, with love, and yes, with great background music. So please, dance into every podcast episode with me. I'm Diola Terum, and I'm your host. Welcome. Welcome to this episode of the Rich Immigrant Podcast, and I'm so excited to have um, someone amazing here with me as a guest. Um, and so June is National Home Ownership Month, and I want to talk about home ownership and also investing in real, in real estate, right? So I know that some people can be low-key and they're making mad, mad moves underneath. And my guest today is an amazing woman. She's a boss lady. Um, she's a servant leader. She's a mentor, a Kilimanjaro climber, a six-pack rocker, a real estate investor, an executive, and so much more. Um, she has made so many mad moves when it comes to real estate, and I'm so excited to have Susan as a guest on the podcast. So, Susan, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Um, Susan is a management consultant. She's an avid fitness enthusiast, a real estate investor, and an investor in many other engines. She lives in New York City, but has spent a lot of her time exploring the world. She believes in utilizing the tools we have to build financial independence and also educating women and Black women to be able to do the same. So now that you know a bit about Susan, let's let's get into this. So Susan, are you there? I am here. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> so there are many things I want to talk to you about. And I said that. I think we need to have you back on the podcast another time. But for starters... You know, you've done some things when it comes to real estate while having your nine to five, which really is not a nine to five. It's a nine to whenever. And I want to learn from you, but I also want others to, to learn from you and hear about your journey. And so I'll start with the first question before we get into the real estate. I'll start with the question I've been wanting to ask you um, over the course of your life. What places, countries or cities have you called or do you currently call home? Hmm, let me start. So, so I am. I'm from Nigeria originally, um, mm -hmm. but I've lived on four continents. So, in Africa, Nigeria, obviously, in yeah. Europe, in the UK, and in Hungary, okay. um, North America, in the US, where I currently live, and then in South America, I lived both in Colombia and in Chile. Um, wow! So that I guess is a high level summary. But I currently live and work in New York City. Um, and my stints that were in South America were fairly short because they were mostly through work. But okay. To be honest, I just I feel very lucky. Like I don't think everyone gets the opportunity to live in and experience so many places. So, yeah, that's that's a high level summary of of my of my worldwide stints. <laughs> yeah, we stand an international queen. And so, how many countries have you been to at this point? Visited about 54 at the moment. If you talk to me in another month or two, maybe it'll be 55. Wow, <laughs> but right okay. now, 54, yeah. Okay. Also a, a globetrotter. So I love it. I love it. Um, so let's get into New York City, where you currently live, right? 
And so, you know, I know little bits of your story based on our, based on our conversations, but we're going to dig in a little bit more here, right? So I know that in your 20s, you know, you bought a property in New York City, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world. What made you do it then at a relatively young age? So that's a good question. So in in, in my teens and, and obviously younger than that, I watched my dad and my uncle, shout out Uncle Jay, um, they both prioritize home ownership a lot and not just like ownership of where you live, but ownership like in preparation for retirement. So naturally, I thought it was cool to own your own home, even though I didn't really know what that meant really. Right. But it was like, oh, yeah, you own your, your home. That's that's what you just do. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So after graduate school, I went to graduate school at University of Florida. But after graduate school, I got a job in New York and I moved to New York. I got my first salary. And I swear it was like, nope, <laughs> this dream is not happening. <laughs> I cannot own. I mean, you know how you know how much property costs in New York City, right? I was like, yeah, I mm-hmm. guess I can't own a property. But I, I still knew that I wanted to own one, but I just knew that it was going to be a crazy idea, right? Because instead of paying rent, I knew I wanted to pay mortgage, right? But I still didn't really understand, like, what do I have to do to get there? And I wasn't swimming in cash, right? Like mm-hmm. most of us friends here aren't but I also knew because luckily I started I really started working in about in January 2008 which was really right before the economic downturn so I knew Mm -hmm. that I probably would have the opportunity to benefit off of the downturn but Mm -hmm. I knew I still had to help myself to get there so I wanted to do it because of what I had seen growing up but I knew like hey girl you, you probably have to do some starvation to get this first one um, which I did, and it's it's really been one of the greatest learning experiences of my life, to be honest. Wow. And so when you bought that home, um, I guess, in New York City, do you still hold Do you still hold that property? Do you still own it Yes, today? I, still, I still own that property. I okay. still own that one. It, it is actually where, where I still stay at the moment. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm sitting on that one because... <laughs> I think that's going to be the one with the most returns of anything else. Yeah. Because yeah. Of when, when I bought it as well. Yeah. 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 And at the time you bought the property, were you a U.S. citizen or permanent resident? And if you were not a U.S. citizen or resident at the time, how did that impact the, the home buying process, if at all? So I, I wasn't. I was neither a citizen nor a permanent resident here when I did. And that made it more difficult because... You still see this. You still see the U.S. as temporary at that point, mm-hmm. right? So you mm-hmm. don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. I had mm-hmm. an immigrant friend who actually bought a house with her husband, and both her and her husband lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. So I understand like the anxiety that comes with possibly having to sell and move when you don't know if you're going to be here long term, right? So mm-hmm. it it that made the process difficult even mentally, but it also made the process difficult because when you're dealing with the banks, it's still a thing, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't have much of a credit history or you may not have much of a credit history. They offer you exorbitant interest rates. Mm-hmm. You have banks that don't even want to give you loans, right? So it was a major, at least for me, it was it was a major thing. Um, so I, I decided to start, how I got over it, I decided to start with a bank that I had the longest history with. So right from grad mm-hmm. school, the bank that I was already using then so that things like direct deposit from work was already going there. They had some mm-hmm. history, right, of mm-hmm. me 
And so I figured they were, they were more likely to give it to me. Um, but guess what? <laughs> I, didn't, I still didn't get it the first time I tried. Oh, wow. Bank, right. So it was, it was emotionally draining, at least for me to have like, I've eaten peanut butter sandwiches and lettuce <laughs> salads for like a couple of years right? mm-hmm. to be able to afford this. And for someone to tell me like, hey, you're not worth my money. Right. Mm. So, um, so yes, it, it can initially be very emotionally draining, but I still, I would still say, you know, starting with the bank that you have the longest history with probably yeah. gives you a better chance. Um, for me, yes, I didn't get it the first time and I had to save more money for one more year and then try again. Um, so that was the way that I did it. Yeah. You know, that, that, that is such great advice. And did you have to have the 20% down or could you get, have a lower down payment? So luckily because it was my first home and in the U S you have all of these programs, right. For your first home. So I didn't need to have 20%, but also because of my credit history, they weren't going to let me get away with like 3.5%. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so at that point, I had to have like five percent. Okay, it okay. Down, um, and that comes with it comes with a host of things as well, right? Because if you do put less less than twenty percent down, you have the PMI, which is like PMI. the mortgage insurance that you do have yeah. to pay. Um, so it's just things to consider and factor in as well. But I like if again, if you're an immigrant, if you're like me, most of us don't have twenty percent down to put on a first home, right? And so I knew mm-hmm. like it would just make the dream even further away if I feel like I have to save all that money to do it. So I tried to at least take advantage of opportunities that allowed me to put less down. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's great to know that some of those programs are even available to us, even though we are not citizens or permanent residents. So you don't have to get up to that 20%. You could have um, you know, a decent down payment, but not up to that 20%, which is a lot of cash you know, to, to save. So, so thank you for that. Um, getting to your just general real estate journey. I don't know a lot of women that are into real estate. And I think, as you mentioned, that perhaps we're influenced by what we see. And you talked about being influenced by your influenced by your uncle, as well as your dad. Um, and and you, you had those two people to, to look up to. But I guess, you know, did you look into other forms of investing or was real estate, you know, first in your mind because that's what you saw mostly when you grew up? So I, I knew that I wanted to own property, but I actually want to make one thing also clear. I, I don't think at that time I even really thought about property in terms of investment. I just mm. thought about it as like, oh, I'm throwing away my money on rent. This money could be put into a mortgage. Right, because mm-hmm. that's what I had been told growing up, but I didn't even necessarily value it at that time, right? As mm-hmm. much as the major impact that that could actually have on your overall portfolio. Um, mm-hmm. But my portfolio from an investment perspective is quite diverse, right? So I don't only do real estate, I enjoy real estate the most, but I don't okay. only do real estate. So I also invest in venture capital funds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very big on what is happening in West Africa. What are the bigger, the you know, the startups coming up? How can I make sure I'm investing in those? Mm-hmm. Um, I also invest in the stock market as well. Like I think a lot of us probably do, especially right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually, I really enjoy real estate the most because I have like a clear strategy. It's more within my control, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 a it's 
it's painful, but it's a learning experience. So I can say yes. I've, I've had the most learning, right, yeah. in real estate. So that's why I enjoy it the most. Okay, no, that's great. I love that you have a diversified portfolio, but um, there's a special interest or the fact that you enjoy real estate. I would say I'm the opposite. I've avoided real estate because I'm just like, ah, it's too much work. And my real estate investments right now are through REITs, right? So I'm into real estate, but I don't actually own an actual property. I do, you know, I, I buy um, REIT stock, um, but I'm, I'm learning and I'm, I'm thinking about creating my own real estate um, overall um, strategy. And so I'm thinking about, you know, actual property in addition to REITs and, and all the other um, ways to get into real estate. Um, well, that, that's understandable as well, right? Because real estate is fairly risky. So it's, mm-hmm. and it is a lot of like physical work, especially when you yeah. start dealing with tenants and all that. So yeah. I always say it's not for everybody. I, I mean, I know a lot of people who are like, I'm into real estate. Why are you not doing real estate? If you're not doing real estate, you're not doing, no, I'm not like that. I'm like, I do understand the level of risk and the level of effort that goes into it. And I think we should just be as, as informed as we possibly can when we're doing it. But right. you also have to just realize like, it's not, it's not everybody that real estate is for, you know? Correct. I mean? so, yeah. 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 No, thank you. I love it. I love it. Um, so since you got, a, you know, that property in New York city that you still live in, you've gone on to invest in other properties, Right. And so I've got a question about those real estate investment properties. And for someone that's looking to purchase and purchase, you know, investment property, how do you think about that differently from thinking about a home that you want to buy and live in? Right. Mm -hmm. I think there's you have to I know I think we had a conversation and you kind of talked about that and thought that was very interesting because I hadn't thought about it that way. So how would you think about a property you're buying to rent out versus one you're buying to live in? Yeah, so I would say first of all, have a strategy. Like that's the most important thing. So if you're if for a home that I want to live in, I like I would look at the neighborhood. Is it walkable? Are there stores coming up that raise the value in a few years? Does the building have accessories that I'd enjoy? Maybe like a gym, bike rack, views, like all of that stuff. Like how pretty is it? You know. But I think the most important thing is can I afford the monthly mm-hmm. payments. That's for a home that you want to live in. You're not as concerned about like what everybody else is paying in the area and what, what is like the the rent that my neighbor is paying, right? You're mm-hmm, more concerned mm-hmm. about like, what's my budget? Mm-hmm. Does this home make sense for that budget? And can I actually afford it? If it's mm-hmm. $2,000 or whatever per month, does that fit into my budget? So for mm-hmm. home ownership, for me, it's just those two things. It's the overall value of the home. Does it make sense? And two, the mm-hmm. monthly budget doesn't make sense for me, right? Mm-hmm. But for investment properties, it's more about rentability and the margin, mm-hmm. right? So does this property one fit into my overall strategy, right? Because mm-hmm. like I said earlier, everyone has a different strategy, right? So if your strategy is to focus on single family homes with like a lot of rooms near university campuses where you mm-hmm. can constantly switch out students, that's a valid strategy. If your strategy is like, I'm going to get condos and nice buildings where tenants pretty much don't call you because they have everything they need. That's a mm. valid strategy. Yeah. And if your strategy is like multi-family homes or buildings where one unit being empty doesn't cause you distress, right? Because other ones are occupied. That's also a valid strategy. So you have to think about, first of all, does this fit into my strategy? And then you think about the neighborhood. Is it close to a school? Who are the kinds of tenants that I want to get? Is it like students? Is it professional 
Is it more short-term rentals? Is it longer-term rentals? Right, you know, because all of those things will impact Mm -hmm. how much you're getting in and how much effort that you're putting in, right? Mm -hmm. So I I just say with a property you're buying to live in, you're thinking about what you can afford and the down payment. With investment properties, you're thinking about mortgage just relative to the rent that you're receiving. So if the rent doesn't cover, in in my own personal strategy, because people are different, but in my strategy, if the rent doesn't cover the mortgage, it's a sentimental buy. And I'm like, I'm not doing sentimental buys for investments, right? So if I'm buying a property where the mortgage is about $1,000 a month, my rent plus other expenses, mm-hmm. right, should definitely not be less than that. So if you're paying the water bill, you're paying, you know, um, some people maybe pay electricity, some do not, like whatever it is that you're deciding yeah. that you're paying, your taxes that you're paying, like all insurance, like all of that, you have to factor that in and your rent should be more than all of that because trust me, issues will come up with the prophecy as they always do. And the money that you're getting in should be able to cover, you know, all your expenses plus any possible issues that you have. So no, that's that's, 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 that's great advice. Different. Yeah. yeah. And do you put money aside every month for any expenses that could come up? Or how do you manage that? So I actually, I like to separate professional, like the, the real estate life from everything else. So separate mm-hmm. bank account, separate LLC, separate, like everything for that. So mm-hmm. that it's easy to track how much I'm exp- ex- expensing each month but it's okay. also easy to track the like the issues that are coming up with the property right so if I'm not spending any money that is coming in from my real estate it's all going into that account that is recycling back into the business right so if I'm seeing that that's going into a negative then that's a problem because problem. that means yeah. I'm getting more issues right yeah but yeah. if I'm seeing that so so it's pretty much using that like balancing out your checkbook but if everything is in a separate account it's so much mm-hmm. easier to balance yes. it's so much yes. easier to to know who you're paying for what and when right yes, so, yes. Yeah. no thank you and I think one thing that you said kind of stuck out to me is that you know a real estate investment property should not be an emotional buy. So like if I'm trying to buy a place that I want to live in, whether it's my forever home or my home for the next five years, of course, I'm going to care about, okay, the floors. Do I want hardwood floors where and carpeting and all that stuff. So I would say um, if I know I'm buying a place for the purpose of being, of it being an investment, it should be less of an emotional buy, less focus on, you know, aesthetics. I mean, of course it should be a decent place that people that will serve the purpose of your ideal renter, but it doesn't have to have all the frills that I would love to have in my dream home. And I think that's that's such a good way to think about it, right? Exactly. Unless your strategy is frills. If you're the person that is like renting to the highest end renters oh, of that yes. maybe come to the Hamptons short term, yes. right? Then you want to make sure you have all of the frills. Yes. But then again, you're buying that property for God knows how much, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it's also just depends on your strategy. But yes, agree. I agree. It's not for me, it's not about sentiment. Yeah. That is such, such excellent advice. Um, and then you, you talked about this a little bit. You talked about, you know, just getting into real estate and running the numbers, right? Do you have I know I've heard of like cash flows, 
analysis that people do to see if it's a good buy and all of that. Do you have a cash flow spreadsheet? Can you tell us about some of those numbers and what they mean? Well, I have spreadsheets on spreadsheets <laughs> with, <laughs> with formulae yeah, and all of yeah. that. But um, I do, I do want to shout out Bigger Pockets, though. Because so yes. for those who don't know what Bigger Pockets is, mm-hmm. it's, it's a real estate community that I feel like every newbie should start with. So you yes. can watch videos of experienced investors answering questions. You can ask questions in the forum. You can like search for topics because trust me, somebody has asked the same question that you probably you, you thought that you're the only one that had. Um, so you can search for topics. You can find templates. So for me, the first template the first spreadsheet template I used I got from there and it allows you like enter your potential mortgage amount your insurance amount like your budget for incidentals your homeowners um, association fees mm-hmm. which we'll in a minute but your taxes because don't you dare forget your taxes you, mm-hmm. you have to sort out the government as well um, your management fees, if you have those, et cetera, right? So everything that you could truly expect to spend in a month. Because um, don't make the mistake of thinking that your mortgage is the only thing that you're spending, right? right. The reason you have these templates is for you to be able to factor in all of these other expenses as well. Um, and then you can make estimates on how much you expect to get in rent. So so for me, one of the things I do, so I have this spreadsheet, Right. But I would mm-hmm. also go into the neighborhood before mm-hmm. you buy a place. Just walk around the neighborhood. Use those apps like Redfin or Zillow mm-hmm. to see how much similar properties are renting for in the area, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. then you can estimate how much you will get. Because a real estate agent will never really give you the yeah. <laughs> correct amount because they're trying to sell a property. So they're always going to overestimate how much you're going to get in rent, right? So you walk around the neighborhood yourself, you know, do some some analysis. Again, we're in the age of the internet, so you have all of these tools, right? So just browse mm-hmm. around when you're there. Um, and then you can compare using your spreadsheet, you compare those two amounts, right? So you compare what your total expenses will be in a month to the average you're seeing for rent in that area, right? Um, not forgetting, so some things that you probably, like sometimes some people forget to factor in as well is things like my property may be empty for like a month in a year, depending mm-hmm. on where it is, yeah. right? So factor in that percentage of it being empty for maybe a month a year or maybe a month every two years. Um, if, if people are moving out, I might have some renovation costs every couple of years, factor that in as well. Right. And then just compare the totals that you're getting from that to the totals that you're getting from rent and make sure that those number two numbers make sense. Yeah. No, thank you. And, I, and I've heard of Bigger Pockets. I follow them on Instagram. I know they have a podcast. I did not know they had an online forum. Is the forum on Facebook or is it on their own website or app? It's, it's on their website. So okay. It's on their website. Yeah, they have okay. a Facebook community as well, but on their website, um, if you actually just create an account, which is free, okay, you, you sign up and you have access to all of their forums. Okay. No, thank you. I will put a link to Bigger Pockets in the you know show description for anyone that's um looking to to look into that because yes, that's one that I had found when I was starting to just learn about investing in real estate and doing the BRR method versus house hacking mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, I know I, I've, I've been kind of watching, listening to them and reading um, what resources, you know, they have um, available. 
Wow, this is only part one of the conversation that I had with Susan, and she shared so much. And you know what the cool thing is? You know, um, Susan doesn't share this on her social media. This is literally us getting the inside scoop onto how she's been making moves behind the scenes. And I just so appreciate the fact that she's taking out the time to have this conversation with me, to share her journey with you, how an everyday person can literally build a real estate portfolio starting in her 20s as an immigrant in a new country. Um, And so this is the first part of the conversation with Susan, and we will be back with part two next week. And so in the meantime, follow along Susan's um, fitness journey. That's what she shares on social media at eights and weights on Instagram. I will tag that um, in the in the in the show notes to this um, episode. But stay tuned for part two, because there's more to this inside scoop we're getting with Susan. Susan, thank you so much for being here. And we'll catch you next week on part two of the inside scoop into Susan's real estate journey. Cheers. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Rich Immigrant Podcast. Before you go, I'd like you to know that there will always be room for you at this table. And as I wrap this up, I'd like to ask for your help with a few things to help support and amplify the message of the podcast. First, please subscribe. Click the subscribe button and that way you're notified of new episodes. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please write and review the podcast. That way you're signaling to Apple that the content here is, you know what, popping! And you amplify our message to other potential listeners. And last but not least, please follow us at Instagram at The Rich Immigrant. And as you go out into the world, I hope that you're encouraged to show up and live fully in whatever country you've chosen to call home. Ciao, bye, odabo, see you next time.